This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number nine, Julie Foudy. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Jim welcomes former U.S. National Women's Soccer Team player Julie Foudy. I look back over my career, and really the most impactful thing over the 18 or so years I played on the national team you know, wasn't the medals and standing on top of the podium, although that was, that was very nice, I must admit, but it was these amazing women I played alongside and all these life lessons I learned, and, and mostly that leadership comes in so many different forms. In this episode, Jim and Julie explore leadership in youth sports, from coaching leadership in young players to discussing the different leadership styles of her fellow national team members to talking about leadership roles Julie herself has taken on, both on and off the field. I'm really excited to have Julie Foudy with us today. Julie was a member of the U.S. National Women's Soccer Team, competing in four World Cups, winning two in 1991 and 1999, where she was the team's co-captain. She also played in three Olympics, winning gold medals in 96 and 2004, and a silver medal in 2000. She, again, she was the captain of that team. Since retiring from soccer in 2004, Julie has gone on to become an outstanding soccer analyst for ESPN and ABC. In 2007, she was inducted into the U.S. National Soccer Hall of Fame, and she has launched the Julie Foudy Sports Leadership Academy, which provides sports and leadership training in summer camps for girls ages 12 through 18. Julie graduated from Stanford in 1994, she has served as the president of the Women's Sports Foundation from 2000 to 2002, and she serves on the director's board of the Women's Sports Foundation for the past seven years and is now doing advocacy work on their behalf with a focus on Title IX and athletes' rights issues. I'm also proud to say that Julie is a member of Positive Coaching Alliance's National Advisory Board. Julie and her husband, former college and professional soccer coach Ian Sawyers, have a daughter, Isabel, who's three, and a son, Declan, who's one years old. Julie, welcome to the show. Oh, no problem, Jim. Happy to, happy to be chatting with you. <laughs> we work with uh, Liberty Mutual's Responsible Sports Program to have coaches focus on two things, striving to win while also teaching life lessons through sports. You know, with your on-field and off-field achievement, you must have had great parents and coaches. What are some of the life lessons that you learned from your parents and coaches? Well, my my parents um, are are a little bit atypical. Of I, I grew up in Southern California, but um, my parents were um, really laissez-faire in their approach to sports. Uh, maybe because I was the fourth of four kids, and so by the time I was into sports, they were exhausted. <laughs> but um, they were very supportive, but weren't always present in terms of you know having to be on the sideline, which I actually loved. And so um, always encouraged me to try sports and play, you know, and I didn't play just soccer till I went to college, but um, wasn't the case where they had to be there every single game and, you know, they were pushing me. It was more that I did it because I loved it and I didn't need any external pressure to play. And so I think it was a really healthy balance. 
from the parental side. Well, it strikes me that one of the things about it is they, they let soccer be your experience, not not try to elbow in on it to make it their experience. Yeah, and I think that was critical. You know, and I, I think about that often now with my kids. They're three and one. They're still too young to play sports. But, you know, I, I wanted to have a similar balance because I always loved playing because it came from me. You know, it wasn't where... Um, and, and I had a lot of friends I played with who were great players and great athletes who stopped playing at the age of 15, 16 because they were so annoyed with their parents pushing them, you know, and saying you got to do this and you got to do this and you need to be practicing and training. And um, and it turned them away from the sport entirely. And I think, gosh, you know, I, I understand as a parent you want to push and you want to, you know, you want your kid to be successful, but you also have to understand you know, that there's a breaking point. And, you know, had they maybe backed off a little bit, maybe those kids would have stayed in the sport. You know, I had a friend that I uh, started a basketball league with years ago, and we were we were uh, running together one day, and he said something that stuck in my head. He said it's uh, about athletes. It's hard to be driven when you're being driven. When somebody else is driving you, it's really hard to to drive yourself. That's a great quote. I, yeah, and that's so true. You know, I mean, another example um, with my parents is my senior year in high school. Uh, to that point, I was um, I was asked to go to Italy to play with the U.S. women's national team. And now this is, you know, I'm I'm 17, 18 years old, 18 years old, and I've only been on the national team for a year or two, and I'm trying to get a starting spot. And um, so we have this big tournament, but it it coincides with my high school graduation. And I said to my parents, I don't know what to do. I really want to be present at my high school graduation, but I also realize this may be my opportunity to start for the national team and to win that spot. And, you know, I, I thought they would be like, well, you go and play for the national team, you know, as many parents would probably do. They're like, well, what do you want to do, honey? It's up to you, you know. you got to live with the decision. And that was a powerful moment because I ended up going to Italy and missed my high school graduation. But now when I look back, I think, you know what? Yeah, I, I'm sad I missed it, but it was my decision. It wasn't, I was forced to do it by my parents. Um, and I ended up winning my starting spot. So um, I think, you know, as a parent, you, you just have to somehow find that balance where, you know, you're, you're encouraging and you're supporting, but at the same time, you're not suffocating. And, you know, and, and it may help have helped that they had no soccer background. You know, they came from a generation that didn't play at all. They, you know, and my dad played football, basketball, baseball, your traditional American sports. So, um, you know, maybe that was part of it. They would just after, you know, after we lost the, the Olympic, the Olympics, you know, to Norway in the final at the 2000 Olympics, and I was just crushed. And my mom was like, honey, that was the best game I've ever seen you play. I don't <laughs> care that you got silver. <laughs> I, I want to talk about your, your activism, the area of women's rights around Title IX and human rights in terms of labor conditions. Um, it seems like a lot of athletes um, who aren't in a position, who are in a position to, um, to do good work in those areas are reluctant. Uh, tell me about your decision to, to get actively involved there. Well, I was sponsored by Reebok when I was playing with a national team, and um, this was, you know, back in the 90s. They came to me, actually, and were really, I give Reebok credit. They were super proactive in saying um, it was at the time that um, soccer balls and the stitching of soccer balls was being exposed as being done by child labor, and there had been all these undercover film crews who had gone over and, 
and they, you know, they filmed all these kids stitching these soccer balls that, you know, we were all playing with back here in the United States. And so they said, we want to do something about it. We want to set up our own factory where we bus actually the people into us. It's not, you know, we, we take it away from being a cottage industry, which is really hard to do, not to get too detailed, but we bring them to us so we can control the environment and make sure that there's no children stitching soccer balls. You know, would you like to go check out the factory? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I went over to Pakistan in the early 90s, mid-90s, um, and um, went and checked out, you know, where they actually, Sialkot is the city where they do all the, the stitching of the soccer balls, and went and went around, saw their factories, industry. It was fascinating. And then came back and talked about it. You're also involved with Athletes for Hope, I believe. I am, yeah, and I sit on on that board as well. Athletes for Hope is um is a great group that is was founded by some amazing athletes. You know, Andre Agassi, Lance Armstrong, Mia Hamm, Jackie Joyner, Kersey, Muhammad Ali. I mean, they have this list of founding members that is just unbelievable. Not just what they've done on the field, but I think even more impressively what they've done off the field philanthropically. And the whole idea is that um, they motivate and encourage other athletes to go into their communities and give back. And um, and it's it's super it's super neat to see the reaction they get. And you know, you're talking professional athletes in the NBA, the MLB. Um, they've gone to a lot of the the national teams for soccer and different sports. A lot of Olympians, and everyone has just been so um, so willing. To, to integrate into their communities and do stuff. And it's, um, it's, so it's, it's been a fun organization to watch grow. In just you know, a couple of years, they've grown huge. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a great effort, and I really uh, admire your leadership in all these areas. Tell me a little bit, speaking of leadership, tell me a little about your leadership academy. Well, the, the Leadership Academy, actually, when I retired after the 2004 Olympics, I had been doing soccer camps, and I thought, you know, gosh, I look back over my career, and really the most impactful thing over the 18 or so years I played on the national team, you know, wasn't the medals and standing on top of the podium, all that was, that was very nice, I must admit, but it was these amazing women I played alongside and all these life lessons I learned, and, and mostly that leadership comes in so many different forms. I know you're, you're speaking to Joy Fawcett. You know, Joy, for example, who played on the national team just as long as me, for the first 10 years she was on the team, she barely even spoke. She was so quiet. And for her last four years, she was my co-captain. Um, and so talking to young girls in a residential environment, so it's half soccer, half leadership, about the different styles of leadership, how it's okay to be quiet, you can still make a difference. But the whole idea is you know, really high energy, interactive, fun, team building stuff. And then they take a project, a leadership project that they build during the week, they take it back to their communities and start and initiate some type of you know, service learning project in their own communities. Um, so it's been a passion of mine that's um, that I started four years ago with my husband and a small team of friends, and it's just been so much fun. We we do three academies throughout the summer, um, and you know that's about all I can handle with my ESPN work and the two kitties. But um, so we spend our summers on the road uh, with the family, but it's it's great fun. You know, you talked about there being different kinds of leadership, and uh, a mentor of mine used to say, "You can smell emotional commitment a mile away." 
And his point was, you don't have to be a super articulate, you don't have to be charismatic. If you have that emotional commitment to getting something done, that draws other people, and that's a form of leadership. And when I think about Joy especially, uh, the emotional commitment she has to excellence is really amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that, that's so true. I mean, you know, and that's really, you see a misconception. And, and what I noticed it specifically because I work with so many young girls, is there's just this this insecurity um, because they don't look a certain way or act a certain way or talk a certain way or they weren't, you know, educated at, at, you know, ex school or come from, you know, a lot of money. And so you get this real insecure um, time period, which we all go through in our teen years, um, but it seems much more pronounced for young girls. And and so they end up withdrawing instead of saying, you know what, it's okay to be different. I don't have to look, you know, like the women I see in magazines, or I don't have to be the most popular or the ASB president, and um, and I can still make a difference. And when you show them stories like that, I mean, when you get a Joy Fawcett up there talking and, and, and to the kids and saying, you know, I was so quiet and shy, and yet, you know, this is how I led, and this is how I found my way. Um, it makes a world of difference to them because all of a sudden this light bulb goes off. It's this epiphany like, oh, my gosh, I, I, you know, I can do it. And like you said, if you just believe in it emotionally, people want to follow that. You know, they gravitate towards that. And that was the thing with Joy. She would, you know, she wouldn't say a ton of words, but when Joy spoke, it was like everyone went silent. It was like, oh, my gosh, what is she going to say? Because she always had the most profound things to say. You know, you <clears throat> talked about the emotional uh component of, of performance and we have a, a, a concept we call the emotional tank when your emotional tank is full you can do great things when it's empty you need you need a, a fill up um did you have teammates we talked about joy but do you have other teammates or coaches that really stand out in your memory as great tank fillers for you we um we used to call brandy chastain the energizer bunny there are people who bring you down in life and Debbie Downers, and then there are people who bring you up and you want to be around the ones who, like you said, they fill your tank. And Brandy was that, you know, we had a lot of them on the team, but Brandy, you know, you could always count on. She was, when you're on the field, she was laughing and she was having fun and, you know, and, and she would be the last one signing autographs. You know, you sometimes if you're super tired after a game or you've had a terrible game and you're just feeling a little bit down, you know, I look over and Brandy's chatting with every single kid. She's the last one out there signing autographs. And I used to think, my goodness, you know, the energy and passion she brings and the joy that she brings to what she does every day is so great. So um, I think uh, I think Brandy is the first person I would say when, when I think of someone like that. Well, you know, you, you talk about her love of the game. Um, watching you on TV, commenting on, on soccer it really comes through how much you love the game. What, what is it about soccer and the way you were brought up, whatever, that, that causes you to uh, just love the sport so much? Um, you know, that's a great question. I, I never get that question. I, I, uh, I, think, um, I think that I love it so much because anyone can play it. You know, it really... When you think of a soccer player, there's so many different shapes and sizes, and you can be fast, you can be slow, uh, and and it's it's really um, universal in that regard. Like you could, you know, I get parents saying, "Well, my kid's 
super short and small, and I don't think she'll be able to play in college. I just had a friend say that to me. My daughter, you know, her coaches are saying she's too small. I'm like, wait a second. Tiffany Milbert was like four foot eleven. You know, Lori Fair was maybe five two, and uh, I'm joking when I say four eleven, but they weren't much over five foot. Um, and then you have like a Michelle Akers or a Cindy Parlow who's you know six feet or or taller. And so I, I think I like that. And in and when you if you throw a soccer ball out in any community, all of a sudden you have friends. You know, and and um, it it is the common ground that you know you can. You can talk to people about when we have our leadership academies. We bring kids over from Afghanistan, from Morocco. And as soon as they step on the field together with these American kids, it is the total equalizer. They're playing soccer. It's like they're not from different countries. Um, and, and I love that. I love that about the game. You know, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about, um, you know, you, you can get better at soccer if you just work at it. And uh, it reminded me a lot when my son... Uh, who's now grown up, but he was working on his skateboard tricks, and he would work over and over and over again. And at the same time, he'd go on a soccer field and he'd work over and over again on trying to, you know, develop a move uh, where he could handle the ball with his feet the way other people handle a ball with his hands. And it 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 seems like a sport that really rewards commitment and hard work over time. Yeah, and it's a it's a it's a simple sport, but it's yet it's it's really technical. So you're right. You know, if you, I, I can remember hours I used to spend just on the front yard on the lawn, just juggling the soccer ball, you know, and seeing how many I could keep it in the air for. So, um, and doing the same thing, you know, practicing little moves. Uh, and so, um, you definitely, if you put in the time and the effort there, you know, there will be rewards at the other side. You'll, you know, you'll see the difference. And even with, you know, the training, like my speed training, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a gifted athlete in terms of quickness. You know, I didn't, I couldn't run a fast 40, but I could get quicker on the five and 10 yard distance because I was a midfielder. So a lot of my things were little short bursts. So, you know, working on that and I improved, you know, a ton in that area. So, um, so I, I think, you know, it's great because kids see the the dividends that, that that pay pay off. You know, I want to go back to leadership for a little bit. You were the uh, captain of the U.S. national team for many years. Um, how did you how did you approach that role? How did you think about your role as the the team captain? Um, you know, I was lucky because I had great captains before me who I was able to learn from, April Heinrichs and Carla Overbeck. Um, and so, you know, the one thing I learned right away is, um, and this isn't one of my strongest traits at all, so I had to work on it a lot, is you you have to be a great listener. You know, I think, um, when you play a role as captain, you're on a team especially, you're the middle person between the coach and the players. And so, you know, you're keeping your finger on the pulse of where the team's at. And so a lot of my responsibilities as captain was relaying to, if it was Anson or Tony or April, whoever the coach was, saying, you know, the team, you know, is tired or maybe we should, you know, think about, and and they sometimes listened to me, sometimes they didn't. Maybe we should think about, you know, maybe just going a little bit lighter because, you know, the, the legs are fried or, you know, we need to be pushed harder or whatever it is. And I think um, being able to have your, 
you know, your finger on the pulse, you know, to use a cliche, is, is an important part of, of being a captain. And then, you know, you know, the other thing I learned that, that um, is hard, I think, especially f- for women, is you're sometimes going to have to make decisions that aren't popular, you know, and um, and go in and talk to teammates who maybe aren't, um, you know, staying with the, the team's principles and foundations. And we had to do that, you know, we used to call them interventions, Carla and I, saying, you know, hey, look, this isn't quite good enough and we need better and, and here's why. You can contribute so much to the team and um, and we need your help. We need you to give more. And that's hard for women, you know, that confrontation or, you know, making a decision that's not popular. You know, and like anything, there's always a balance. You know, you, you want to listen um, and empathize, but, you know, there's also, you know, a time, you know, and, and we've, we had various teams over the years. If you had someone who was like, you know, I can't handle the coach or I can't handle this, and, you know, and you've got to somehow cut that off because you want to ultimately create an atmosphere that's really positive. And so you want to you want to make sure a player's being heard. But if they're if they're negative, in a detrimental way, then you know you also have to say, all right, enough. You know this isn't helping. Um, and so, you know, and and that was I think something Carla was was you know the master at. She would um, diffuse things and turn them into positives. And so, you know, a little, and, and, you know, if you're around a team, we used to live together for six months before Olympics or World Cups, or even if you're just training a lot with your, you know, your, your youth team or your club team, you know, little things become big things when they fester. And so, um, you know, she used to, to nip them early and say, okay, let's deal with this. And I, and I think that's, you know, that's a healthy thing for life, not just for a team. Yeah. Can you, um, can you think of any of the ups and downs that your team, you know, preparing for a world cup or Olympic games, um, any, any challenges that, uh, you faced that, um, you had to deal with? Uh, how many days do we have, Jim? (laughs) Can I think of any? My gosh. Well, I mean, it, it just, we were the first in many regards and, you know, it was the first world cup in 91. It was the first Olympics in 96. And so besides the normal challenges, you have the challenges on top of that of, in a sense, you're pioneering, you know? And so I just, I just remember people all the time. I tell kids this all the time because people all the time would tell us, you know, ah, you're not going to, you're not going to get a world cup, you know, back in the eighties, you know, not enough women play soccer. People don't care about it blah, 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 and it's like, you know, it just becomes like underwater garble, you know, after a wire, you're like, whatever. So, you know, thankfully, we had this amazing group of women who would, when people would tell them no, they just smile and say, all right, and kind of rub their hands together and say, let's go. So, you know, same thing with the Olympics. You know, you're never going to get the Olympics. You know, well, we not only got in, you know, the Olympics, we won the first one as well. So, um and and I think in large part it was you know our group constantly pushing saying why 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 can't we be here why can't we do this why you know in in a healthy way we used to call it wholesome discontent which is a, a Colleen Hacker phrase which I know I, I know you know Colleen Hacker well and I adore yep. Colleen who work with our team but you know this wholesome discontent of um, of pushing you know and not accepting you know that you know the status quo that we want more, you know, after we won the world cup in 99, 
that was awesome. But you know what? We could play so much better. And and let's even get better after that. And so um, and that was that this group. And so when people would throw obstacles in the way, it almost would fire them up. I, I love that phrase, wholesome disconnect. And I do know Colleen, but I hadn't heard that before. You know, there, there's a there's a whole uh, area of psychology now on positive psychology that shows that um, just lots of research that people do better when they when they get a lot of positives and emotional tanks filled and. I think your team that had, uh, you know, stayed together for so long, had so much great chemistry is a, a great example of uh, of the power of positivity. Yeah. You know, and, and people often refer to that chemistry. Um, and the one thing they don't realize, and when they say, you know, I'm, I, I'm trying to emulate it with my team, the one thing they don't realize is, um, sure, you know, we all were good people and got along and, um, you know, positive, you know, pretty much most of the time, you know, you can't always be positive, but we worked at it, you know, and, and to, to coin another Colleen phrase, you know, she used to say team chemistry is a verb, not a noun. And so, you know, it's not just a coincidence that we all got along. I mean, we, we really, you know, like I said, there were, there were moments, you know, when a negative, you had to turn into a positive and, you know, we used to call ourselves spin masters. Um, and or just team building exercise or whatever it is that you know taking the time at a lunch to go sit next to a new player because um you didn't know that player as well and it's you know more comfortable and easy to sit next to your you know your old the old bags we used to call ourselves who i'd played with for 18 years mia and brandy and joy and all of us but to you know, to take a moment. We used to on the road. We used to room, you know, a young kid with a veteran. You never got to stay with a veteran until actually a World Cup or an Olympics, a big event. Then then they let us stay together. Um, so doing things, little things that I think make a world of difference. Because I remember new players coming in and saying, you know, I was petrified coming into this team. And when you walked up to me, or you know, Mia walked up to me and said, it's great to have you here. You know, you know, we're excited you're with us. She said that made a world of difference. Just you know, taking the five seconds to say that. Wow, <clears throat> that's that's fantastic. Um, one of the uh, big ideas that Positive Coaching Alliance and Responsible Sports have is uh, the importance of honoring the game. And we talk about the roots of honoring the game: respect for the rules, your opponents, your officials, uh, your teammates, and yourself. Um, can you think of a key moment in your career where your ability to honor the game was tested? How, how do you how do you keep your cool when when you're tempted to to lose it? Um, I used to put a um, you know those he- the headbands the hairbands we all wear the ponytail holders well you know we wear them on our wrists a lot the little elastic ones I used to wear one of those around my wrist when I played and um, when I would catch myself either you know, thinking negatively or losing my control with a referee or, or, you know, whatever it was, I would snap that. And it would kind of just be this little reminder, like, chill, you know, relax and think positive. You know, and, and, uh, you know, the greatest thing I ever learned is, you know, your brain can only handle one thought at a time. And so choose what you put in there. You know, you have the power to control what's in there. So choose a positive thought. If it's negative, if you have a negative one, replace it. Um, and so that was my little signal to myself to, to, you know, to snap out of it. And, you know, I think when you're wearing the captain's armband, 
you have a responsibility to your team to stay cool and, and to treat the referees with respect, although I, I didn't always stay to that one as much. Um, um, but, you know, especially when they wouldn't listen to you when you were in the captain's armband, I used to smack the band saying, you know, I'm allowed to talk. You got to <laughs> listen to me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think, you know, you, you have to figure out little strategies to, to remind yourself because it's an emotional game. Sports are emotional. I mean, it's what you want to bring, that emotion, but you also have to control it. I, I, I love what you said. The phrase I was thinking of when you were talking was, uh, we are what we eat. And it's not just with food; it's the the ideas we put in our head, and your your notion of you got to put positive ideas in your head to to transform the situation. Uh, la- last question: uh, When Isabel and De- Declan start playing sports, what kind of a coach do you want coaching them? Someone who will teach them the game, but tell them to go out there and laugh and and trip over the ball and have a blast and um, and and have fun. I mean, that's, you know, what I look back on my years of playing any sport. That's what I remember. I mean, you're having a ball, you're working hard and, um, you're competitive, but you're, there was always laughter, you know, wherever we went with the national team, even in the most intense moments, you know, on, in the middle of a soccer game, the world cup final, you know, I can always remember I turned to Carla and I'd be losing it or something. And she'd start laughing and we would start cracking up in the middle of a game. And I think, Gosh, you know, I, I, I really hope whoever, you know, my, my kids get as coaches, they, um, they remember we're there to have fun. That's what sports are all about. Great, uh, great thoughts. Julie, thank you so much. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm really proud that uh, you're involved with Positive Coaching Alliance and Responsible Sports, and um, uh, our listeners are going are gonna to get so much out of this interview. Well, that's great. You guys are doing uh, wonderful things, so... I am proud to be associated with you as well. To learn more about responsible sports, including downloading valuable tips and tools for helping young athletes learn valuable leadership lessons through sports, visit responsiblesports.com. You'll find helpful responsible sports parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.